0: Welcome to the Men Are The Prize podcast. This is a safe space for men, just like you, to be open, vulnerable, and emotional. Every week, a new case study steps out of his comfort zone to discuss masculinity. Using the prize mantra, we discuss important aspects of being a man. This is the who, what, where, when, and how of manhood.
1: Welcome to the Man of the Prize podcast, Harvey here, I'm your guest and your host. I'm here with you, I'm kind of leading you, but I'm in this journey with you too, so I hope you're enjoying it. As usual, I hope you had a great week, but more importantly, if you didn't have the best week, I hope you were able to handle the week that was given to you. I hope you were able to deal with whatever was happening, anything bad that was thrown at you, anything unexpected that was happening to you. I hope you're able to deal with it. Um, this is why this podcast was created, because as a man, I know that we're not raised to talk about our stuff, to struggle, whatever's going on. We're not supposed to go find somebody and talk about it. We're not supposed to. We're supposed to rub some dirt on it and keep it moving. And that's not what this, that's what we're supposed to do in this world. We're supposed to talk about it. And I'm hoping that as you listen to every episode of this podcast, you get more and more comfortable with opening up, talking about what's going on. And if you And if you feel really comfortable finding someone to talk to, because that's really important. I think a lot of us don't feel like we've got that person. And I hope you found it, whether it's a friend, a mentor, a trained professional, anyone that you can speak with. The epitome, the reason that I created this podcast, it's epitomized by the guest we have today, Ian Hill. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thanks,
2: Harvey. Appreciate you having me. And as I said to you off air, thank you for this service that you're providing to men. And the vehicle that you're giving to bring hope and tools and support in difficult and unprecedented times.
1: No doubt. And I appreciate your time. Let's get right into it. I'm going to introduce you. Humanitarian business leader, award-winning, social innovator, professional development pioneer, and world record breaker. I love this, by the way. I can't get into that. I can't wait. These are some of the words often used when referring to Ian Hill. Currently, he is attempting to set another world record by becoming the Oldest man to play college football. The effort is to save lives by destigmatizing mental health for men, as middle aged men are 70% more likely to commit suicide than any other segment of the population, as well as introducing them to partner programs that will provide meaningful information and tangible tools that foster mental health, resiliency, and strength. Ian has partnered with the number one long snapping coach in the nation to achieve the record and already has interest from several top colleges. I hope Notre Dame is one of them. That's what I love. The the National Council for Community and Justice and the Martin Luther King Jr. Commission recognized Ian for his commitment to positive change by naming Ian Humanitarian of the Year, the Stand for Children organization, named Ian its Child Advocate of the Year. That is a resume. And as great as that sounds, I know you're a better person, even off the page. So I'm <laughs> well, so glad to yeah, talk to you. I
2: don't, you listen to that and you say, who's that guy? He's pretty good. You should have him on the table. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for having me. And, and you're right. We're trying to break the world record to be the oldest man to play Division One, yes, NCAA big- Division One college football. And although Notre Dame has not expressed any interest, but... Hey, Notre Dame, if you're listening, I'm always open. Uh, we do have a tryout in uh, in July, July 23rd, uh, University of North Alabama in Florence, Alabama. And okay. then on July 29th, we'll be at the University of Idaho at a tryout there as well, do prospect opportunities. And, you know, it's been a heck of a journey, right, man? Trying to break the world, <laughs> going against, playing against 21-year-old big men. <laughs>
1: I, well, I applaud you and I wish you the best of luck, but um, let's get into why you want to do this. Let's get into the sure. story and then we'll work our way up. So I read an impressive resume, a bio here, but I always like to ask my guests, I met you on the street. I don't really know you and I've got like 20 seconds to get a feel for you. Give me the 20 second I'm on the street bio that I didn't get a chance to read if I was asking about you. Um,
2: I would say I'm in the world-changing business, and I'm just a uneducated man who is trying to lighten the burden of my fellow human beings. I mean that—that's just what it boils down to. Um, I've done a lot in my life. I've had the blessings of being able to participate in a lot of different vocations, and in some of those, been very successful, and some of those had abject failure. Um. But the common theme and the common thread is how can I lighten the burden of my fellow man? And typically, like most people who have a desire to help others, it's because I don't want people to go through the same crap that I went through. You know, you talked about that Let Them Be Kids program. Why did we open the schools and build the playgrounds? Why did we do all that? The youth centers. Because I know what it was like to have a crappy childhood. And this world record attempt um, to bring light to the alarming suicide rate amongst middle-aged men is because I wanted to kill myself because I didn't want to live anymore. And the thought that there's men today, as we speak Harvey, there's men today that feel like they have no value, they have no worth, and that their life is meaningless. And it would be better if they believed that it would be better for everyone around them if they were not here. And I'm glad that I experienced that. I'm glad that I felt that. I'm glad that I thought about killing myself every day. Because now I know what 3,287 people are going to try to do today. They're going to try to kill themselves, both men and women. 137 on average a day will succeed. 22 to 23 of those each day will be veterans. It's just not acceptable, bro. Just not acceptable. Agreed. And so, so being able to feel the loneliness, the brokenness, the hurting, and the lack of hope made me say depression picked the wrong dude to f with so let's go kick depression's ass
0: sounds like a plan
1: i'm with you
2: and so that's that's the why behind it
1: i hear you the fact that you're comfortable the one that you're willing to tell this story and it's important i so i thank you for that so if nothing else just opening up and letting us know it's a great start um, what this podcast is. Like I mentioned, it's uh, purpose, why it's here, it's talking, it's conversation, it's opening up. And the way I do it is using the word prize mantra kind of came up with. I take the letters in the word prize, each letter has a word, and then we'll talk about it through questions sure. with you. And we'll get into things with you. So the word is prize. The first letter in the word prize is P and the word is purpose. Reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. So, Ian, what is your purpose?
2: Um, I think I alluded to it earlier. I was put on the planet to lighten the burden of my fellow man. Mm -hmm. Um, I was adopted and I was smuggled out of Iran by a United States Air Force sergeant. And I was brought to the United States in 19... Well, I was smuggled out of Iran in 1965. I didn't come to the United States until 1970. And it was evident to me that that couldn't be an accident. It was clear to me that it was a reason. Now in my initial, you know, my childhood, you wouldn't think that, you know, given up for adoption by my birth parents. Then my adopted mother died when I was five, I found her. Uh, My adopted father, for the most part, was gone by the time I was 13. I lived in a bunch of different homes. Tragically, like many, I was sexually abused by both men and women, you know, starting at an early age, at the age of six, ritualistically, sexually abused. and But that's not unique to me. Many tragically experienced that. But in the midst of all of that, Harvey, I knew I had purpose. I remember walking through the desert of Tucson, Arizona. By now, I was a eighth grader, freshman in high school, a jock as a pretty good athlete, quarterback and a basketball player and ran track and won the city championship and all kinds of stuff. I remember looking up to the sky and saying, God, why would you let me go through all that stuff, man? Like, what? Up? That's stupid. Like, what in the world? Why would you be having some 11-year-old kid having sex with a 43-year-old woman? Like, what is that all about? why would you let that man do that stuff to me in that closet? Like, what is the story? And I, as clear as day, a voice said, so you would experience what hurt felt like. And so I knew that there was purpose in my life. What I didn't realize at the time and I came to find later was that all of us have purpose. And all of us have a job to do. Most history will not record the job that we have done. The only job, if you will, that will be recorded will be on the hearts of those that we've impacted. And I'm not talking about our vocational job. I'm talking about all the things, our life experience, our insight, our wisdom, our knowledge, physicality, everything that we've been equipped to do, our job, our universal job, a job to humanity. And I knew that I had a job to do, that I wasn't taken out of Iran and brought to the United States for no purpose. I wasn't go through all that crap for no purpose. I knew I had purpose. And it was holding on to that that got me through purpose. But then I came to find that all of us have purpose, all of us have a reason for being, and when we do our job, other people's burden is lightened, so then you just set out to make sure you're doing your job, sometimes that takes its form in starting a school, sometimes that takes its form in doing something that it hasn't been before, sometimes it takes its form in starting a rec center, but sometimes, for many of us, it takes the form of being a good dad, Being a loving spouse, being a good uncle, being a kind friend, being a listening ear. So for most of us, the universe will not record in the annals of history our that we completed our job, but it will be recorded in the people that love us and are close to us because we impacted their lives. So that's purpose to me.
1: I'll slip off the point for a second. So at a very young age. It's apparent to you that a lot has been thrown at you. A lot of things that you probably shouldn't have to deal with. I don't typically get into religion or anything, but I'm interested to see this at your age. And you said you, you know, and metaphorically or literally, ask God, are you? Is your faith shaken? Are you questioning whether there's a deity to begin with? Where are you at that point? I had a
2: unique relationship with the Judeo-Christian ethic. My adopted father was a military man, decorated military man, and a hell of a hero for the United States of America. Probably wasn't the greatest dad in the history of mankind. Probably not, right? Right. And he would pull me up to the Lutheran church in my community and drop me off. And then he'd come back two hours later and pick me up. Like when I was seven, he would just drop me off. Say, go inside. And then he would bring me back. And then he would just do that. And it was funny. It was literally funny. Now that I look back on it, he was like, drop me off because he was hungover, and then he'd come back and pick me up. Right now, God forbid that he stepped in the church. That would never go to happen. But he was going to raise up his kid right in the ways of God. Right. And then I ended up living with a pastor. After my adopted father had left, I had nowhere to live. I literally had nowhere to live, man. I remember knocking on my friend's door, whose dad was a pastor, knock, 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 knock. And he opened the door and I said, man, I got nowhere to live. I, I got nowhere to go. I need, I need a place to stay, man. I was probably a sophomore in high school. And he slammed the door in my face. I was like, what the hell? And then I hear this voice, mom, dad, can you live with us? <laughs> so literally every day and every week, Wednesdays and Sundays and Saturdays, I'm at a church and I'm hearing, you know, about God. So I think that from the beginning of my life, the hand of divine providence moved mightily. And I can honestly say that the majority of the projects that we've done, there was divine intervention, clear, tangible, divine intervention, where money came from nowhere, miracles were done right and left. And in many of those instances, like we started an elementary school for homeless kids, transitional families, more appropriately termed. And it was literally a voice from heaven saying, start a school. Had no money, had no way. $7.2 million and 28 months later, a first of its kind school was built in Reno, Nevada. And that, that's just the truth, thats that's what happened. This football thing similar. I have no idea why I'm going to play college football. I mean, I know the intended purpose. Right. But the people that I've met along the way, the pilot on a plane a few months back who saw a football and said, what are you doing? I told him and then waited for me, waited on the jetway for me to talk about his challenge and his situation and his difficult circumstance and his thoughts of suicide. So I know when you talk of purpose and you talk of God and everybody has their own faith system and belief system. Yeah, I think there's a creator. And I think he. when I'm in alignment with him, he puts me to work because I'm dumb enough and crazy enough to launch into things that other people won't try. And so I think that there's some of us that have been built not to understand reality and be disconnected from reality. And I don't mean that to be flippant. I mean, obviously I'm a 57-year-old man going to go play college football. There's some disconnection from reality there. (laughs) And, And then he calls on us. And he says, hey, I need you to build a school. Go build a school. I need you to start Nevada's first charter school. Go start Nevada's first charter school. I need you to start a a thing that will build playgrounds all around the United States and Canada, bring hope to people. Or I need you to go play college football. So you do.
1: Okay. The next letter in the word prize, the letter is R, and the word is resilience. I feel like you hit these already, but we'll go to them anyway. Resilience, the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties and toughness. And you touched upon it. Um, So I'll I'll ask the question a different way. We know what particular situation brought about resilience for you. What do you think is the, uh, what's the signature moment for you, if you have one? in your life.
2: I don't think there's a seminal moment because I've had to revisit that many times. I mean, I was 50 years old. I'd just been nominated by a community in Canada uh, for the social innovator of the year award, prime minister, social innovator of the year award. And weeks after that, I came downstairs and told my family I was gonna kill myself. So I don't think there's a moment in time. I think we all got stuff. And we go through the ups and downs of that stuff. Now, that was a result, and the journey thereafter was a result of just a bunch of patterns of thinking and behavior that were destructive, that were well-established on the time I was young, right? And so I don't know if there was a seminal moment that would define resiliency. Certainly, athletics contributed to me not wanting to quit. A sense of purpose contributed to me not wanting to quit a sense of destiny that I couldn't be brought here to this country from Iran if I wasn't supposed to have do something with my life, right? So I think, and then, of course, faith was a portion of it. But, you know, as you were asking the question, it was a poem. It's a poem that I learned as a jock, man. And I remember in the darkest times, because I had it all planned out. I just drive my car off of a road that we have here in in Northern Nevada called 395, Highway 395. And it's the road between Reno and the state capital, Carson City. And there's a valley, it's called Washoe Valley. Cars drive off the road in Washoe Valley all the time because they got really big gusts of wind, literally blow over semi-trucks. So it was going to be really easy. I just jerked the wheel of my car, fly into the ditch without my seatbelt on and no one would think the difference, right? But there's a, there's a poem that I learned as an athlete. You've heard it before. When things go wrong as they sometimes will and the road you're trudging seems all uphill. When the funds are low and the debts are high and you wanna smile but you have to sigh. When the cares of this life are pressing down a bit, rest if you must but don't you quit. Life is queer with its twists and its turns as All of us have sometimes learned and many a man has turned about when he might've won had he stuck it out. So don't give up though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with one more blow or often the goal is nearer than it seems to a faint and faltering man who learned too late when the night came down, how close he was to the golden crown. When things seem worse than your hardest hit, then my friend, you mustn't quit. As a kid, I would say that over and over again, alone. Alone on Christmas, alone on Thanksgiving, alone. Say it over and over and over again. And then it served me well again, going through the dark journey of a middle-aged man. Don't quit, don't quit, don't effing quit, do not quit. So I don't know if it was a seminal moment, but I do know having a sense of purpose, a sense of faith that there was something bigger than myself. And then that silly poem, that mantra, if you will, I've come to learn that mantra affirmation developed a a resiliency and an intestinal fortitude that has got me through the darkest times.
1: You said earlier that you, um, I'm not happy that, you know, that you're glad that you went through everything that you went through. Um, I always like to ask people. Now, now, let me be now, clear, now. exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But knowing what your purpose is and all that you've accomplished and all that you will accomplish, if you really had to contemplate it, you say that now, but, I, you know, would you still choose no. all that you went through? No. I mean,
2: primarily because of the people it hurt. Children. Mental illness affects the children of the dad. My kids were not equipped to have a man, their father, walk downstairs and say he wants to kill himself. They were 12 and 13 or whatever years of age. They weren't ready for that. What are they going to do with that? Now, my, I, I just didn't know who else to say, say these kind of things to, right? And, and but they, you know, they're going to have to. They have to the therapy maybe for the rest of their lives for that. I gotta deal with I gotta own that and both of my daughters uh, you know they 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 don't understand I gotta clean up that mess there's no and there's no way around that I gotta clean up that mess mm-hmm. um business failings you know you when you when you purposefully intentionally sabotage your business in United States and Canada, you have to deal with that You have to deal with the mess and the successive business failures that come after that when you have a mental illness that you're trying to not address but run away from. So whether it was my family that was hurt, business partners, community members, hell no, I would never want that. And if I could go back and change those things, I would, but you can't. That's not how life works. Right. You have to say, okay, I screwed up. I messed up. I can't use my mental illness as an excuse because it's not going to resonate with anybody. Instead, all you can do is try to live a better life and try to go go do good things and not only recapture what was before, but go well beyond what was before. And so to answer your question directly, no, no, I wouldn't want to cause everyone all that pain. I'm glad that I know what loneliness feels like, brokenness feels like. I'm glad because now when I talk to a man, I can empathize in real terms, not just, oh, that's too bad what you're going through, bro. Mm -hmm. In real terms. And when they make excuses and when they make, make up stories, I'm more empathetic and I give them more space and more grace to change because I know how many times I started to take off and turn things around and then stumbled and fell and then dusted myself off and tried again and then stumbled and fell. So I got a lot of grace and I got a lot of space. So yes, I would redo it. No, I'm glad that I have the learnings and the lessons.
1: So that's, um, that's a pretty important moment. Stepping down the stairs and telling your family the plan that you want to make, as much as you're willing to talk about, are were you able to? Are you still in the? And I'm my. Let me rephrase. You're always in the process of rebuilding that relationship. But when you went down and told your family that, including your children, did it hit you when you were saying that to young no. children? No, I was
2: just trying to. I was. They were the only people that I knew. And I wasn't saying it like try to be melodramatic. I was saying, hey, I'm struggling right now. Mm-hmm. I'm really hurting. And I can't seem to figure out how to turn this thing around. I know everyone thinks I'm a superstar and everyone thinks I got all the answers and everyone thinks I can pull shit out of my butt and make magic happen. But y'all, I am not making magic happen anymore. And I can't figure out how to get the magic back. And that was the struggle, right? But where did the magic go? Like." It's done these amazing things. Where did it go? And then you try to open a restaurant on college campus and it fails. And then you buy a professional soccer team and it's a abject total failure. Right. Great on the field. Tremendous team on the field. But business wise, total failure and just stuff after thing after stuff. And it just reinforces. How am I going to say this? Because it's germane to the story. I had someone very, very, very close to me say, we would all be better if you were dead. Now, I know what was meant because in the moment, wow, what a cruel bitch, right? But I know what was meant by that. What was meant by that is that you are causing us all grief and pain and you are causing turmoil and it is unmanageable anymore. And we don't all know what to do, and so, of course, that hurt, and of course, it to the core, right? But now, as I look back through the perspective of time, I understand what was really trying to be said. Um. So I'm not bitter about that. I get it. It was a mess. Um. But but you you look at that, and you, and you have to say to yourself. Those things have to be repaired. And I think you were about to ask the question, how's that repair going? And yeah, that's yeah, yeah, work. There's still lots of work, lots and lots of pain that must be addressed. And so, on one hand, you know, you go and you say, I'm going to go do this thing and be the oldest man and play college football and yay. But on the other hand, and this is something that I would advise to your listeners, and those that love the men that are listening. It's not a hockey stick, man. It doesn't go. It is up and down and all around. And there may be a situation where people never forgive. And there may be a situation where the damage was so great. And no one is required to believe in you. No one is required to forgive you. No one is required to accept you back. And I think you just have to come to terms with that and say, yeah, no one is required. I am required to do some things, but I cannot require anyone else to
1: do
0: anything.
1: Right? Mm -hmm. Agreed. I skipped the I. The next letter in the word prize is Z. The word is zeal my favorite word, enthusiastic devotion. It is already obvious what you are devoted to. I'm gonna ask something different. Mental health, I don't know if we ever know what really brings it about, trauma, whatever happens, but a lot of it, at least for men, self-esteem, how we feel about ourselves. So on this journey that you're going through, what have you grown to love about yourself through this journey that maybe you didn't like before? Or maybe that, you've I have discovered value,
2: now. That, that, that I have value. The first thing that I had to do in turning this thing around was figure out these patterns. We all have patterns of thinking, patterns of behavior, and patterns of communication that are deeply ingrained in us at a young age. And whether you call them habits or patterns, whether you call them coding, a lot of people call them a lot of different things. Bottom line is this 85 to 90% of our behaviors unconscious. We just do it. We don't even think. Our brain's not even engaged. Example, every time my dad would go to hit me, he would get a look on his face. Well, my subconscious mind is smart. My subconscious mind protects me just like it does you. So when we see the look, what do we do? Block. See the look, block. See the look, block. It's pretty easy. I see that look, punches, coming, block. Well, later in life, when someone gives a similar look, it doesn't mean they're throwing a punch. So all of a sudden, the patterns that we put in place to protect us or to save us or to or to run, to fight or to whatever, all of a sudden, when we get later in life, they don't serve us as well anymore. But we're in those patterns are imperceptible to us. So the first thing I had to do was unwind those patterns, right? And I had to do it with a zeal and an energy because those patterns don't go away easily, but this is the hope. This is what should give us all hope, neuroplasticity, our brain's ability to rewire itself and create new patterns. My, my history is not my destiny. What I have been is not written in stone what I will be because I can change those patterns. So that was the first learning, right? The first takeaway, oh crap, I need to rewire my brain and rework my brain. And so I took to rewiring my brain. I have value. I have worth. Not because of my performance. Not because you tell me I'm great. Not because I did some fabulous thing and got some fancy award. No. You, me, everyone listening, we all have inherent value, period. Now, our performance might take us up the corporate ladder. Our performance might give us something cool and fun. But our value is inherent, period. That was a huge learning, right? Because now I'm just valuable because I'm valuable. And then you establish strong boundaries for how you're valued and treated. Right. And then then we learned about nutrition and we learned about physicality. And we learned about testosterone going into the tank when you get old and all those kind of things. But the number one learning at value. 70 billion people have lived on a planet, nobody like me. And there's nobody like you. Never has been, never will be. Right? I have value.
1: Especially as men, having inherent value, it's a big thing. We are attached to what we provide. So just to know that I'm important just because I'm here and not because of what I'm doing is an incredibly important statement.
2: And and unfortunately, we have created a construct in our society where a man is evaluated based on his account. Man is evaluated by his son. in some cultures, a man's evaluated based on the tennis shoes he's wearing. A man is evaluated based on the car that he drives, size of his house. Man is evaluated in some cultures by the watch that he wears. All ridiculousness, all having no meaning, having no value whatsoever in the whole grand scheme. We no longer celebrate the good, hardworking dude that just takes care of his three kids and does it well and does it right.
1: So true. So true. The last letter in the word prize is E and the word is expectation. I'm going to change it up again, just because I like, I feel like I want to kind of fit it in with what we're talking about. When you make a division one college football team and you're rocking the jersey and you're running out and you're out there with a mascot and you're making that long snap in an important game in the Rose bowl or wherever you're playing. What is your expectation? What is going to come out of this journey, out of this, when you succeed with making a team and playing? What comes out of it? A thousand men.
2: A thousand men. A thousand men take the gun out of their mouth. A thousand men put the pills down on the table. A thousand men turn off the gas to their home uh, because they want to stick their head in the oven. 1,000 men park the car instead of driving it off the side of the road. A 1,000 men say, if this guy can overcome all that he's overcome, if he can literally be playing a college football game as a 57-year-old man, then I can overcome my challenge. That's it. There's no other, there's no brilliant strategy here. It's just hope. When we see someone do the improbable, the implausible, and seemingly impossible, we get whole. And so that's it. That, you know, and I've said this to the, Harvey, I've said to the colleges, don't give me a break. Recruit me like I was any other team member. Don't say, oh, look at the cool thing he's doing and right. we're going to trot him out on the field and let him snap the football and we'll all do a golf clap and it'll be great. Look at the old man and he broke the world again. That won't inspire a man. What inspires the man is I'm getting up and I'm training three times a day. What inspires the man is that I've had a, a, a torn a- or a strained AC joint, a stretch fracture in my foot and a probably groin injury that I can barely walk that and then I still train because I am training for the man who doesn't want to live and I've got to train like I'm saving his life so my expectation is that we will have defeated the evil that gets into a man's brain that gets him to believe he has no value and worth and we will kick him out of that man's brain through that man saying, no, that is not my destiny. There can be an alternative and I can make it through my own challenge because look at what that crazy guy
0: did. I like
1: it. Believable. The last letter in the word, it's the middle letter and the one that I don't define, but the man I'm speaking to defines the Letter The is I, and it represents the man that I'm speaking with. So. I asked this question this way, I'm stripping you down here. I'm taking the titles, dad, employee, football player, all that stuff. It's you, dark room, you've been through your struggles, you've been through everything. All said and done, who are you?
2: I hope at the end of my life, when I'm evaluated, that, because I think I will be. Right? We all have our own different worldview. That someone's gonna look at me and just say, Good job. You did your job, man. Not always the best, not always what I expected, but when push came to shove, you heard my voice and you did your job. And you made a dent and you struck a blow for good. You did your job. That's it. A man who did his job. And if I can, if I, if I, if I can get that, then I'm okay.
1: Wonderful. it's perfect. Thank you for answering the questions in the prize mantra. I appreciate it. I throw a few random questions just to kind of round it out.
2: It's pretty spectacular, Harvey. It, uh certainly love the way that you position that and organize that. It's very powerful. Thank you.
1: What are you afraid of that you can not? control?
2: Um, well, first of all, there's nothing I can't control. Whether I choose to control it or not is another thing, right? So there's right. nothing I can't control. I, 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 There are some things I still don't choose to control. Um, I still make poor decisions sometimes. You know? um, I'm lazy sometimes. I'm, um, I sometimes make commitments that I can't keep sometimes. Even though my heart is pure and I'm well-intentioned, I need to tell people no. so there's there's some things that I need to that I need to address, but there's nothing I can't control. The human capacity is phenomenal. It's just, well, I strengthen the muscles, if you will, to control them, the discipline, let's say, and some other things. And But I think my biggest fear um, in this football thing is, The moment, that moment when I trot out on the field, will the moment, will I succumb to the moment or will I overcome the moment? The fact is that all of these things that you said about me that are so positive and true, I was a little kid hiding under a bed that wouldn't come out. I was a kid that was afraid. Like even now today, I, have, I don't like being in crowds unless I'm on stage. On stage, I'm fine because I'm in control, total control. That's the safest place in the room is on stage. So, Will, I won't be in control on that field. I have my job to do, but I certainly won't be in control. And so how will I do with the crowd, with the players, with everything going on? You know, will I be big enough for the moment? And luckily, Chris Rubio, number one long-snapping coach in the country, been working with me. It's amazing. Half the guys in the NFL are his guys. Um, Dr. Connor Hogan, one of the top neuro uh, sports science psychologists in the world, performance psychologist. That's one thing we work on every day. You control the game. You control the game. You control the game. Kirk Sanderson, he's putting guys in first round draft choices, trains guys physically. That's who's doing, handling my physicality. So I got the best that you can have around me to prepare me. And that's where my confidence comes from. But that moment, put my hand on that football, proud yelling, break the world record, snap. Then I gotta go cover the punt. I gotta run down the field, I gotta tackle somebody. So that's the fear. Will I wilt in the moment? Will I wilt in the moment?
1: So, that's and the question. answer is no, I won't. <laughs> hey, damn right, damn right. You gotta think that way. My last question is this, as I'm listening to you talk about this and the thousand men and who is gonna be affected by what you do. A lot of men that I spoke to, when we talk about why we're, we're not able to talk about what's going on, why we can't vocalize, why we can't communicate the struggle. I look like I'm succeeding, but I am I am drowning in whatever emotion I'm going through. And one of the things I found it's just consistent is that we wanna communicate. We don't have access to communication. And what I mean is do you have a person, not your wife, kids, not the long snapper, not the physical therapist, none of those people. Right now you did something really stupid. Don't know why you did it. You know it's gonna affect you. It's gonna embarrass you, but you could pick up your phone and you could call this person right now. And no matter what that person was doing, would stop, listen to you and be like one, would not because he's probably a man that was some dumb shit that you did they would listen they would give it to you straight but they would be there for you and a lot of us don't have that guy you got one
2: i don't you're right and that and you know what's sad about that harvey is most men our age i'm going to lump you into being an old man like me (laughs) um 40 50 or 60 i don't know which one um (laughs) they say we only got one friend or two, and they're probably not the kind that you're talking about right now. Luckily, I had a friend like that. His name is Jeff Dudley. he been around in my life for 15 years, working together, doing projects together. He's been that guy for me. And he's watched me crash and burn. And tragically, a couple of the companies that I sabotaged going through all of this, he was a business partner in. And he still hasn't walked away from me. And he's always believed in me. And always stood by me. And so you're right. Most of us don't have that guy. And I would just say this for those of you that don't have that guy right now, you're thinking about doing something that you don't get a second chance on. You can't hit the reset button on, but you're thinking about it and you don't have anyone to talk to, call me. 775 298 1014. 775 298 1014. That's my cell phone number. I'm not an expert, I'm not a doctor, and I don't pretend to be, but I can listen. And because I don't have skin in the game, I don't, we're not gonna judge you. So it's better for you to call someone local, close to you, someone that could be more immediate, someone that could be more intimate. But if you got nobody in your life and you're listening right now, and it's urgent and you're broken, and you don't know what's gonna come tomorrow, call me, 775-298-1014. And I mean that sincerely. I believe you, I believe you.
1: I'll tell you this, and just because of you being so open and telling your story, this whole time I've been listening to you, I have, there's something on my wrist here, and it's a mark, it's a wound, it's a reminder, of when I decided to try and kill kill myself. I went to college and I failed out and I came home to a father who couldn't even, he couldn't even look me now. He was so completely disappointed, disgusted. Like I'd never felt so low in my life that I sat in my room and I had the knife and I was ready. And I just didn't do it. But every day after I look at my kids, I look at this, maybe rub it just to remind me that was a dumb thought there. And I hear you, and I'm one of the people, one of the men that you're talking to, one of the men that you're doing this for. You are incredibly appreciated. You are needed. You said valued. You have no fucking clue how valued you are from people who may never meet you. At most, we'll see you on this video. So if you don't get the acknowledgement that you deserve, let me say to you personally, that this is fantastic. This is needed. It's poignant, especially now, especially now men, because we are at a point where we're kind of recognizing, you know what, I'm more than just my job. I'm, I, I, there's a lot to me. And I'm glad somebody recognizes that. So to you, I say, thank you. I appreciate the time that you gave me here. And I'm going to leave this to you. Where can the people who've been watching slash listening find you? So they can see, I gave them a little bit of what you've done. There's so much more to you. Where can they find you?
2: So um, the initiative website is Seasontosvelife.org, SeasontosveAlife.org. There's tools and resources there for men, through our partner organization, or they can just get a hold of me directly. There as well. That phone number is on there. Like my cell phone number is on the website, which everybody involved in this project is like, you're crazy. And I'm like, no, this is about conversation with men. And so they just go to season to life.org. And let me just say, Harvey, the story that you just told us right now creates such a space for the conversation. So I just thank you for for sharing that obviously difficult, horrific moment in your life when you thought you didn't have any value. Now look at you, being a beacon of hope and creating this podcast vehicle to impact men, being a great father of four. Um, But I thank you for trusting all of us, all that are listening and me, by giving us some insight to the why behind you doing this. Very powerful, my
1: friend. I appreciate it and it's important and it's not something that, you know, that comes easy. It's not something that I would talk about, but with age, with time, growth happened, and being able to say it and not have it affect me because in the past, even thinking about it was something that would just kind of bring me down. But like you said, I'm here with four kids who are crazy, but they're mine in a life that is hectic, but it's mine and I'm here <laughs> for it and it's important. So, this episode, if you're listening, you're watching, it is imperative that you understand how important you are, not just to yourself, but I'm, there's a friend, there's a spouse, there's a child, there's a sibling, there's somebody who needs you, whose life will be forever changed for you not showing up tomorrow. It is important that you know how important you really really are and if you ever question it there's a phone number that I'll put in episode notes you call that man and he will listen or you you go to his website or you listen to this you do whatever you have to so that you can be around and tell somebody that you were thinking about this tomorrow and you don't make this choice on your own that's right thank you Mr. Hill I appreciate your time so much thank you Harvey very much I appreciate it. Thank you to everyone who watched Listen, Men of the Prize, the podcast where your inner monologue is revealed. Never, ever forget. You are a man and you are the prize. See you next week.
0: Thank you for listening to the Men Are The Prize podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow Harvey on the gram at Men of Zealous Nature or on Twitter at Men Have a great week and never forget, you are a man and you are the prize.